AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Robbo AgriFinance. As a leading financial services provider in the United States, Robbo AgriFinance adds value using industry expertise, client-focused solutions, and by creating long-term business relationships. Robbo AgriFinance offers a comprehensive portfolio of services that give producers and agribusinesses the right products to prepare for and take advantage of market opportunities. This comprehensive suite of services includes loans, insurance, middle market, input financing, and effective risk management products. Robbo AgriFinance is a division of Rabobank, the premier bank to the global agricultural industry and one of the world's largest and safest banks. For more information, contact Rabo AgriFinance at 855-722-7766 or visit them online at RoboAg.com. Paul Hamas is Vice President and General Manager for Agricultural Shipping for the Union Pacific Railway. Paul, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. Thanks, Ken. Glad to be with you. Let me ask you about the Union Pacific. I know it's a merger of two... um, rail lines recently and more over the longer term. What is your major area in the U.S. and then access to Canada and Mexico? Well, the U.P., of course, uh, overall has 30,000 miles of uh, railroads, so we have a big network, uh, primarily west of the uh, Mississippi, but a good, strong uh, base in the major agricultural areas in the Midwest, uh, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Missouri, all the all the major producing areas, and then we do have access certainly to the export markets in the Pacific Northwest as well as Mexico. We hit all six gateways there, and then the export markets in the uh, Texas and uh, Mississippi River Gulf. Another big component of our ag franchise is the domestic side. We ac- uh, access uh, the major feeding markets, uh, including the dairy markets in California and the Intermountain region, and. Uh, eastern and western Texas and the Mid-South. So a, a good, diverse, but expansive uh, ag network. It's almost past living memory, but the railroads used to be set up where that there were a lot of lines and they stopped in small towns. Mm-hmm. And I know you've changed from that to your setup today, but it has to be a significant change for the railroads to go from that model of business operations to what you are now. Yeah, and, and, of course, it occurred over a long period of time. And, uh, you know, in the end, uh, the, the, the goal or the need is to become more efficient, and particularly in agriculture where we need a network that is competitive on a worldwide basis. And, and that's an advantage that the U.S. has right now. And uh, the rail industry's uh, spent a lot of money, made a lot of changes to, to make uh, the grain network and other parts of the egg network very efficient, and that includes uh, consolidating some lines, uh, our customers consolidating facilities so they're larger and more efficient, and that's brought down the total cost, and uh, it's, it's made the U.S. Uh, rail system very competitive on a worldwide basis. Well, agriculture is concerned about transportation cost, and uh, it's been pretty controversial at times. How do you explain the variability of your pricing uh, when you are in one part of an area versus another, perhaps in a situation where you have a what's called a captive area compared to an area that you don't? Because these people talk to each other and they compare rates and 
they tell me they find differences in them. Well, there are differences in rates, uh, and, and some of that reflects uh, geography as well as other competitive uh, issues. You know, uh, rates near uh, the river might be different than rates in the truck market. But I, I think uh, when you're looking at this, there are very few uh, shippers that are really in a, in a captive position. Um, in most cases, uh, you know, a shipper, of course, may only be located, for example, in the Union Pacific. But if you look across Nebraska and Iowa and Kansas and Minnesota, you don't have to look far for the other rail line and uh, a competitor being maybe 15 or 5 or 20 miles away. And that's really where the competitive uh, competitiveness really comes out, uh, that those shippers, we have to keep the shippers that are on the Union Pacific competitive with the shippers on other rail lines, and we have to keep them competitive into the, uh, the, the best markets because the more competitive they are, the more grain they're going to move on our railroad. You mentioned earlier the bigger consolidated locations that uh, prepare the product to load onto your trains. Mm-hmm. Is that what you prefer to run unit trains rather than run single or few cars of uh, a single type? For grain and uh, some of the larger bulk products like uh, ethanol and DDGs and soybean meal, we, we do prefer that because if you know, there, there's we have a great uh, manifest or multi-car network as well, and and we like that business very much. But when you have uh, products like grain that move in heavy volume in in certain quarters, the most efficient way to move them through are are with dedicated trains, and uh, that's what we do. And uh, you, when you look at the number of rail cars required to to move uh, the crop every year, it, it's gone down because we load more efficiently and we run longer trains, and that's, that's good for everybody. How has the expanded ethanol industry fit into your rail network for Union Pacific in these years that we've had this expanded production? It's really uh, actually fit nicely into our network. Uh, it's, a, it's a mix. We do uh, multiple car or manifest type uh, business with ethanol, but we do a fair amount of trains as well. And that's fit well into our network. We, we know how to handle trains. Uh, we have customers that are capable of uh, loading it and uh, terminals that are capable of unloading it. And when you go into high-consumption areas like Texas and California and the East Coast and so forth, they need that uh, productivity and that unit size rail to, to really uh, move the type of volume they need to, to handle their petroleum requirements. Paul Hammes, let me turn to some political issues at this time. There's uh, currently a lot of pressure on Congress to fund projects for water transportation, primarily on the Mississippi River and the other inland waterways. Um, And the WERDA bill, Water Resources Development Act, uh, is now in conference. What's the view of the rail industry on this type of uh, potential expenditure of federal dollars for another type of competing transportation? Well, I think from a, a high level, we always, uh, you know, kind of view it as, you know, you, you should pay your way, uh, regardless of what type of transportation that is, rail, truck, or water. And uh, they certainly have some issues. And, uh, you know, they're going through uh, uh, a long, long process of trying to get some funding. Uh, and, and it's just not what we face in the, the rail industry. Uh, we're, we're basically privately funded. Uh, our, our returns determine what we're going to spend on capital, but we do fund our, our own capital expenditures, and I think that's uh, 
an advantage to the rail system, and you, and you see it in a situation like this where the water industry is struggling uh, to not only uh, uh, upgrade or replace some 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 uh, current locks and dams, but uh, tackling any further expansion. An observation for me, I just moved to an area along the Mississippi River in the upper Mississippi, um, Iowa on one side, Wisconsin on the other. And when barges go by, they're they're big and they're stately, but there's a train that goes by about every 20 minutes on a double track on the Wisconsin side that has to move a huge amount of freight considering how many trains run, and there's one on the Iowa side as well. And it seems like one of those is a little majestic, uh, and the other one is just a workhorse, and maybe you don't get the recognition you deserve for the amount of freight you haul. The rail does uh, move about, oh, 33-34% of uh, all the agricultural products in the U.S., so we, we do uh, do a lot of the work. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of rail fans out there, too. Um, it, it would be hard to compete maybe against... Uh, that Mark Twain image of the uh, towboat floating down the Mississippi River, but we have a lot of trains, you know, winding through the mountains and everything as well that are pretty majestic. And uh, there's a lot of uh, rail fanatics out there that, that follow these trains around as well. Let me ask you about the farm bill. Is there any part of the pending farm legislation that concerns your industry? I don't know if there's anything particular there that concerns us. Uh, there's a lot of pieces to it. Um, and, uh, you know, in the end, what, what we want to see is, is uh, legislation that keeps U.S. agriculture as competitive as possible uh, on a worldwide basis. Uh, in the end, uh, you know, that's what's driving us. Uh, our domestic markets are important to us, but uh, the, the growth for U.S. ag is, is going to be driven by exports, and we have to keep our system, our uh, industry competitive from that perspective. So. Uh, whatever direction that legislation takes, if, if that's where we end up, that, that's what we want to see. But in terms of specifics within the bill, uh, I wouldn't pull anything out and comment on it. Should we expect any further consolidation in the rail industry? And it seems like it's gone further than many people ever thought it would or would be allowed. Do you think there's more potential for consolidation? You know, it just uh, doesn't appear as though there's anything uh, in you know uh, on the horizon there. I think uh, the uh, class one carriers are operating well. Uh, we do have uh, certainly a lot of business that we do uh, at interchange with the eastern carriers, uh, as well as the Canadian carriers. So there's a lot of the uh, effects that you would see out of a, a longer, broader railroad that, that we, we capitalize on today. Paul, to finalize, uh, do you have any comments on the way that the relationship between the rail transportation industry and agriculture and the rail line can be improved? Well, you know, it does come down to communication. Uh, we we uh, have very good relationships uh, with our customers who represent, you know, a large portion of the agricultural industry. And, uh, you know, we're not always in agreement but I think we understand uh, the issues and we work closely with our customers to, to resolve those. And, and we haven't had any uh, what I would call significant industry issues for, for some time, and I think it reflects the uh, close working relationships we have with our customers. And we also have good working relationships with the uh, industry groups, such as NGFA and TEGMA and uh, 
we're, we've been working closely with the Soybean Transportation Coalition, which is uh, a group representing the soybean producers and processors and, and all those people that are uh, uh, associated with the soybean industry. Uh, we, we have uh, regular communication with the National Corn Growers and the National Wheat Growers. So I, I think we're out in front and uh, we're communicating. We're discussing the issues, and, and I think that's going a long way in, in uh, uh, resolving any potential problems. Paul Hemmis, Vice President and General Manager for Ag Shipping for the Union Pacific Railway. Thank you very much for being our guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. Hey, thanks for having me. AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by Robo AgriFinance. Visit them online at roboag.com. I'm Ken Root.